This program is made possible by BibleWayMedia.org, overseen by the Uloga Church of Christ in Uloga, Oklahoma. You're listening to Opening the Scriptures with Don Boyd. Welcome to the program today. This is Don Boyd. I want to welcome you to Opening the Scriptures. We're going to continue in our studies today on the Christian graces there in 2 Peter chapter 1. What we want to do is read 2 Peter 1, 1 through 6 to begin with. It says, Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to them that have obtained like precious faith with us, through the righteousness of God and our Savior Jesus Christ. Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus Christ our Lord. According as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness, through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these you might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. And beside this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to your virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience godliness. Now we're going to stop right there because what we're going to be looking at today is adding temperance to knowledge. But again, remember that the little phrase, giving all diligence to do this. The word giving, again, the Greek word translated giving, Paris Pharaoh, found one time in the New Testament. Vincent's word study says that word means to bring in by the side of, and then this part, adding your diligence to the divine promises. You know, you'll notice in each of these it says beside this, giving all diligence add to your faith virtue. So we have this personalized to us. It is your faith, it is your knowledge, it is your temperance, it is your patience, it is your godliness, it is your brotherly kindness, it is your love or charity. And then the word diligence, Thayer's second definition of the word spude, translated diligence, is earnestness in accomplishing promoting or striving after anything. So, what is temperance? Add to your knowledge temperance. The word temperance is found four times, or the Greek word translated temperance here, ekrateia, is found four times in the New Testament. It is found twice here in 1 Peter 1, 6. Well, that word means, according to Thayer, self-control. The virtue of one who masters his desires and passions, especially his sensual appetites. So the word temperance here means self-control. Add to our faith knowledge 
uh, excuse me, virtue, to our virtue, knowledge, and to our knowledge, self-control. The other two places where this Greek word is found, the first place is Acts 24, 25. Acts 24, 25. And this is Paul speaking with Felix. And it says, And as he reasoned of righteousness, temperance, and judgment to come, Felix trembled. American Standard Version says, was terrified. And answered, Go thy way for this time. When I have a convenient season, I will call for thee. But you'll notice that Paul was reasoning. He was talking to Felix about righteousness living the right life, about self-control, controlling yourself, and then judgment to come. And then you'll notice Felix was terrified because of that, because Felix hadn't practiced godliness. He hadn't been righteousness. He hadn't practiced self-control. And he knew what was coming because of that. The other place where Egratea, the word translated temperance, is found is in Galatians chapter 5, verse 23. Galatians chapter 5, verse 23, and here it is part of the fruit of the Spirit. Begin there in verse 22. It says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. So these are the three places or the four different uses here of this Greek word that is translated temperance. And we must practice self-control. Barnes in his commentary says that that word, and I quote, the word here refers to the mastery over all our evil inclinations and appetites. We are to allow none of them to obtain control over us, unquote. We have to practice self-control. You know, you ever heard anybody say, well, you made me mad, and you may have said that yourself. But you know what? Whenever you really look at it, they didn't make you mad. They did what they did, and you chose to get mad. You could have chosen not to get mad, but the choosing to get mad is on our part, not because the action was done. So how do we practice self-control? It's something we need to do. Well, we find even in the scriptures that athletes practice self-control to win in sports. You go to 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 24 to 27. 1 Corinthians 9, 24 to 27. says, Know ye not that they which run in a race run all, but one receiveth the prize. So run that you may obtain. You know, stopping there for a moment. Those who run in a race, you know, whether that's, again, 
100 meters, 200 meters, 400 meters, or a mile, or you know, back in my day, 100 yards, 220 yards, 440 yards, whether that be a 10K, a 5K, or a marathon. They all run, but only one of them wins. And then he says, so run that ye may attain or obtain. Verse 25. And of course, he's not talking about a, a physical crown here, but a spiritual. Verse 25. And every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. All right, stopping there for a moment. The word striveth there, of course, they're striving for a mastery, the mastery in the games at this point. The word striveth there is from the Greek word agonizomai. And that word, according to Strong's, means to struggle, literally to compete for a prize, figuratively to contend with an adversary or generally to endeavor to accomplish something. So we are striving, he says, stri they strive for the mastery in the games. All right, there he says they are temperate in all things. Now the word temperate here is a different word from the word temperance. This is egratuamai. And there, excuse me, Strong says that means to exercise self-restraint in diet and chastity. Well, we'll look a little more at that in a moment and it's something that Adam Clark said in his commentary. But ending the verse there in verse 25 <clears throat> says, Now they, that being the athletes, do it to obtain a corruptible crown. In other words, they may get a gold medal or a wreath or something like that. But we, an incorruptible, we will receive an incorruptible crown. You know, there at the end of Revelation chapter 2, verse 10, Jesus says, Be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee a crown of life. So we are looking for an incorruptible crown. Verse 26 says, I, therefore, so run. I'm running the race. And then he says, not as uncertainly. In other words, not knowing whether I'm going to win or not. I have, everyone has the opportunity to win a crown of life. I run not as uncertainly. So find I not as one that beateth the air, you know, I'm not fighting the devil in this Christian life like somebody who's shadow boxing. This is a real war. This is a real fight. Verse 27. But I keep under my body. I keep under my body. Keep under there. The American Standard Version says Buffett. The Greek word is defined by Thayer as to beat black and blue. So I keep under my body and bring it into subjection. The word subjection or translated subjection there means to make a slave. We are to make slaves of our physical body. 
as Paul did. And then he says, lest that by any means when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway or rejected. Look at, well, I want to go ahead and read here Philippians 3, 13 and 14. Philippians 3, 13 and 14. Paul says, Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth to those things which are before. In other words, Paul's saying, you know, I, I haven't apprehended, I haven't laid hold on yet of eternal life, but I'm running the race to get there because that's what he says in verse 14. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. The word press there means to pursue, to run swiftly in order to catch. He goes, I am striving for that, for that mark, for that goal, for the prize, the award the high calling of God, that crown of life is what he is pressing for. Adam Clark said in his commentary about those who are striving there in the races, quote, all those who contended in these exercises went through a long state and series of painful preparations. And then he quotes somebody by the name of Epictetus. And he says this, quote, Do you wish to gain the prize at the Olympic Games? Consider the requisite preparations and the consequences. You must observe a strict regimen. You must live on food which you dislike. You don't like the food, in other words. Now, continuing. You must abstain from all delicacies. You must exercise yourself at the necessary and prescribed times, both in heat and in cold. You must drink nothing cooling. Take no wine as formerly. In a word, you must put yourself in the directions of a pugilist or a fighter as you would under those of a physician. Afterwards, enter the lists. Here you may get your arm broken, your foot put out of joint, be obliged to swallow mouthfuls of dust, to receive many stripes, and after all, to be conquered." Unquote. So he goes, you go through all of this, you eat food you don't like, you have to exercise at the times you're supposed to exercise, whether cool or hot or rain or snow or whatever. And then you, you got to drink what you don't want to drink. You don't want, you know, not a cool drink of water. And he says, and in all this, you may get your arm broken. You may get your foot out of joint. You may swallow mouthfuls of dust, many stripes. And after all that, you're going to lose. That's what athletes go through. 
all the training. You know what Jesus calls that? Denying yourself. In Luke chapter 9, verse 23, Luke chapter 9, verse 23, Jesus said, he says unto them all, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Denying ourselves. We are to deny ourselves of all these things if, and I'm talking about things that will stand in our way, and we're going to look at some of those in a minute. If we want to receive the, high, the prize of the high calling of God, that goal, then we have to practice self-control just as an athlete practices self-control. The Hebrews writer called practicing self-control is abstaining from the pleasures of sin. In Hebrews chapter 11, look at verses 24 to 26. Hebrews chapter 11, verses 24 to 26. It says, By faith Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he had respect unto the recompense of the reward. So there we have Moses practicing self-control in that aspect that he denied the treasures of Egypt and he suffered with the people of God. Now, he practiced self-control in some other ways as well, but there was one time he didn't and it got him in trouble. But we're not going to get into that right now. So, what are the areas where we need to practice self-control? You know, let's go back and look at 2 Peter 1, 6 again, to knowledge, temperance, or self-control, to your knowledge, self-control. Clark, Adam Clark, in his commentary states this about the word temperance, and I quote, a proper and limited use of all earthly enjoyments, keeping every sense under proper restraints, and never permitting the animal part to subjugate the rational, unquote. In other words, don't let the physical body enslave your spirit, the rational part. You know, in Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, we've looked at a few times in various lessons, but let's go look at it again. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 because this talks about things that will weight us down and the sin that besets us also. It says, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin, which does so easily beset us, and let us, let us run with patience the race that is set before us. You see how often the word race is brought up or run in this Christian life? Now verse 2. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of faith. You know, the word hour there is added by the translators because it's in italics. 
who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. <clears throat> Adam Clark, in his commentary, made this comment concerning this verse, and I quote, as those who ran in the Olympic races would throw aside everything that might impede them in their course, so Christians professing to go to heaven must throw aside everything that might hinder them in their Christian race, unquote. All these things. Well, you look at the word here. Lay aside every weight. The word weight there, Strong's defines the Greek word translated weight this way. A mass as bending or bulging by its load that is burden or hindrance. There are things that hinder us in this life and it's not all sin that does. Now, we may turn something not sinful into something sinful by the way we use it. And you know, the weights in our life that'll drag us down. Go to Luke chapter 8, verse 14. <clears throat> Luke chapter 8, verse 14. It says there, again, this is the explanation of the parable of the sower. And that which fell among the thorns are they which when they have heard go forth and are choked with cares and riches and pleasures of this life and bring no fruit to perfection. All right, so there we have three things. Cares, riches, and pleasure. Now what about cares? Well, what is that talking about? Let's let Jesus explain that and go to Matthew chapter 6. <clears throat> Going to look at verses 31 to 34. Matthew 6, 31 to 34. He says, Therefore, take no thought. The American Standard Version says, Be not therefore anxious saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knoweth that you have need of all these things. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Take no thought for the morrow, for the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient to the day is the evil thereof. You're right there, the cares of this life. What am I going to eat? What am I going to drink? What am I going to wear? What am I going to do? How am I going to do this? How am I going to do that? Well, Jesus just simply says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. These things will be added to you. The necessities of life will be added to you by God. Just seek his kingdom and his righteousness first. Well, that would take care of the cares. What about the riches there that's mentioned in Luke eight fourteen? the 
cares and riches. Well, go to Luke chapter 12 and look at verses 13 to 21. This will explain the problem of riches. Verse 13. And one of the company said unto him, Master, speak to my brother that he divide the inheritance with me. <clears throat> and he said unto him, Man, who made me a judge or a divider over you? And he said unto them, Take heed and beware of covetousness, for a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesseth. And he spake a parable unto them, saying, the ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully. And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do? Because I have no room where to bestow my fruits. And he said, This will I do. I will pull down my barns and build greater. And there will I bestow all my fruits and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease. Eat, drink, and be merry. Uh, the riches of this life. Verse 20, But God said unto him, Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then whose shall those things be which thou hast provided? So is he that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. You see, if we do what Jesus said to do there, it's going to take care of those riches that we're so longing to get, it seems like. But then there's one more thing there. Verse 14, Luke chapter 8 again, And that which fell among the thorns are they which when they have heard go forth and are choked with the cares and riches and pleasures of this life and bring no fruit to perfection. You see, there's the pleasures. Well, I want to go to Mark chapter 10. <clears throat> Mark chapter 10. Beginning in verse 17, now this is also going to have to do with riches as well, but those riches sometimes bring those pleasures. It says, And when he was gone forth, that being Jesus, gone forth into the way, there came one running and kneeled to him and asked him, ask him, Good master, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? And Jesus said unto him, why callest thou me good? There's none good but one. That is God. Thou knowest the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not kill. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Defraud not. Honor thy father and mother. And he answered and said unto him, Master, all these have I observed from my youth. Then Jesus, beholding him, loved him, and said unto him, one thing thou lackest. Go thy way, sell whatsoever thou hast, and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven. And come, take up the cross, and follow me. 
verse 22. And he was sad at that saying, and he went away grieved, for he had great possessions. Now stop there for a minute. The young man came and asked the right question. What must I do that I may inherit eternal life? He did a lot right. But Jesus loved him and said, You just lack one thing. And that one thing was his riches. Those riches that brought his pleasure. And Jesus said, Get rid of that. Because your riches own you. You don't own your riches. They own you. And then, come take up the cross and follow me. You know what that means again? Luke 9.23 Deny yourself daily. Take up your cross daily and follow me. Well, he went away grieved. He turned down eternal life because of the riches and pleasures of life. Verse 23, <clears throat> And Jesus looked round about and saith unto his disciples, How hardly shall they that have riches enter into the kingdom of God? It's hard, he says. And the disciples were astonished at his words. Why would they be astonished? Well, people have the mindset that if people have a lot of goods and they're rich, God is blessing them greatly. God is on their side. And here Jesus is saying it's hard for those people that have riches to go into heaven. It didn't make sense to them. Well, continuing in verse 24, But Jesus answered again and said unto them, Children, how hard is it for them that trust in riches to enter the kingdom of God? You see, that's the problem. Trust in riches. And then he said it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. That really got their attention. Verse 26 says, And they were astonished out of measure, saying among themselves, Who then can be saved? A camel going through the eye of a needle, that's impossible. Well, Jesus, verse 27, looking upon them, saith, With men it is impossible, but not with God. For with God all things are possible. God can put a camel through the eye of a needle, and if rich people will follow God, they get into heaven. But the cares and riches and pleasures of this life are the weights that will drag us down. That we saw there in Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. Look also at Luke 9, 57 to 62. These are some more of those weights. Luke 9, 57 to 62. <clears throat> It came to pass that as they went in the way, a certain man said unto him, Lord, I will follow thee whithersoever thou goest. And Jesus said unto him, Foxes have holes, and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. What he's telling him there. 
count the cost. Are you still willing? Count the cost. Verse 59, and another, he said to another, follow me, but he said, Lord, suffer me first to go and bury my father, my family. The father, you know, I've read commentators that said the father was dead, go bury him. Others said he was near death. Others said he was old. Whatever, Jesus said, though unto him, verse 60, let the dead bury their dead, go there and preach the gospel, or excuse me, the kingdom of God. That's the most important thing he said. Go preach the kingdom of God. Verse 61, and others also said, Lord, I will follow thee, but let me first go bid them farewell, which are at home at my house. Let me go say goodbye first. And Jesus said unto him, No man having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. These are weights that will weight us down. And then in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4, <clears throat> 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4. It says there, No man that warreth, in other words, we're looking at a soldier in a war in a battle, entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. In other words, we're fighting a spiritual battle battle, we're not going to get involved in all these cares and riches and pleasures of this life. That's the affairs, that's the business of this life, that we may please him who hath chosen us to be a soldier, and that's God. We are a soldier in the army of God on this in this life. And we should be wanting to obey our commander and not getting involved in all these cares and riches and pleasures of life that will drag us down. Now, he also mentions there in Hebrews chapter 12 again. Let's go back there and refresh our minds. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Wherefore, or verse 1, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witness, let us lay aside every weight, and that's what we've been looking at, it's all the weight, but then, and the sin that does so, or which does so, easily beset us. So let's put aside the sin that besets us. The word beset means a competitor that thwarts a racer. Go look at 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 9. <clears throat> 1 Corinthians 7, verse 9. Verse 8 gets us back to the context. He says, I say therefore unto the married and widows, it is good for them if they abide even as I, you know, because of the present distress that was taking place there. But he says in verse 9, if they cannot contain, in other words, if they cannot have self-control, let them marry. It is better to marry than to burn, to burn in that lust. It's better to marry. Don't let the sin drag you down. It's trying to stop you, trying to hinder you in this race 
that we are involved in to get to heaven. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, look at verses 3 and 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 3 and 4. Here he says that, well, verse 3 for this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that you should abstain from fornication, that every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor. So again, that's one of the sins that so easily besets. And then look at Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3, and this gives a lot that will try to thwart us, a lot of the sin. Verse three, he says, or verse five, excuse me, mortify, put to death, therefore your members which are upon the earth. Fornication, we've already looked at that. Uncleanness, which is lustful living, that's getting in them pleasures of life. Inordinate affection, that means a vile passion. Evil concupiscence, a longing for what is forbidden. And covetousness, which is idolatry. You know, we read earlier in Luke chapter 12, Jesus warned about covetousness. Verse 6, For which things sake the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience. These things will hinder us from getting to heaven. And in verse 7, he says, In the which ye also walked sometime when ye lived in them. He goes, You lived that lifestyle before you came to Christ. But he says, Now, do these also. These are also sins that will keep us out of heaven that are trying to hinder us in this race. Put off. Like an old, that, that word means like an old set of filthy clothes. You've been out in the mud and it stinks and whatever. You put those things off. This is what they are. Anger. Anger there means a provoking. Wrath, which is boiling anger. Malice, which is a desire to injure. You see these things kind of go in a, a sequence here. They keep getting worse and worse and worse. Blasphemy, you're vilifying or slandering someone. Filthy communication out of your mouth. Vile conversation, cursing, dirty jokes, euphemisms, such things as that. Lie not one to another. All those different kinds of lies that people tell. Seeing that you have put off the old man with his deeds. See, so you've put off that old man, that old man. You put him off like that filthy, stinky, dirty garment. You've put all that off. And you've put on, verse 10, the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. 
All right, keep your marker right there and go back over to 2 Peter 1. And it says there, verse 2, Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord, according as his divine power hath given us unto us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him that called us to glory and virtue. And here he's talking about you've put off the old man with his deeds and you put on the new man, again, Colossians 3.10, which is renewed in knowledge. There's that knowledge. After the image of him that created him, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, which would be a savage to the Greeks there, or Romans, bond or free, but Christ is all and in all. And then he says, put on, therefore. You've taken all this off. Now put this on. As the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercies. The American standard renders that a heart of compassion. Kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another. In other words, putting up with one another. Sometimes we have to do that. Forbearing one another and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. And above all these things, put on charity or love, which is the bond of perfectness. Everything there together. You know, we have to have self-control if we want to win the crown of life. It goes right back to that race. We are there to win a prize. And you remember a while ago we read Paul said that he had not apprehended it yet. But you come to the end of his life there in 2 Timothy chapter 4 verses 6 through 8 he says there for I am now ready to be offered and the time of my departure is at hand Paul knew he was about to die he says verse 7 I fought a good fight that fight that we're in we need to fight that good fight I have finished my course in other words, I've reached the end of the race. I have kept the faith. I have been faithful. I've fought. I've finished. I kept. And because of that, he says in verse 8, <clears throat> Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, 
and not to me only, but to all them also that love is appearing. You know, back in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, Paul said, you know, they all run, but only one wins. Here Paul is saying, we can all win. We can all win if we practice self-control, fight the good fight, finish our course, and keep the faith. Well, again, this is Don Boyd. I want to thank you for tuning in to Opening the Scriptures today, and we look forward to being with you next time. When you're in Moody, Missouri, you're invited to visit the Moody Church of Christ, located on Highway E in Moody, Missouri. The congregation there meets on Sunday morning at 10 a.m. for Bible class, 11 a.m. for worship, and then again at 6 p.m. for Sunday evening worship. They also meet at 6 p.m. on Wednesday night for Bible study. We hope you enjoy this program. We hope you will share with others. And as always, we thank you for listening.